loves God. He pursues God. He desires to be righteous before God. He can't overcome his sinful nature. Thanks for joining us at The Hope of Our Calling. Let's get started in our study of First Peter. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Hope of Our Calling. We are in the epistle of First Peter, in the first chapter of Peter, and today we're going to be covering verses 17 through 19, where we're going to be learning about a father, a judge, and a lamb. But as always, before we go on, I want to make sure that we remind ourselves of what we've already learned. The book of 1 Peter, or the epistle, the letter of 1 Peter, is written to encourage those that have been dispersed, whether it's because they return to their homelands carrying the good news or the gospel of salvation, or because of persecution that pushed them out of their homes and thus spreading the good news, the gospel of salvation. And that's what all of this is about, salvation and a faith that is more valuable than gold. So we remember that we're just pilgrims. We're just passing through a life, but we're never alone. God is always with us. He is always our ever-present help in time of need. We're also to remember that we're kept by His power for all those who have put their trust in Him. He does just about 99% of the work. All He asks from us is that we would trust Him. And we trust Him because we know Him. And we know Him because we know His Word. The Trinity of God is at work when it comes to our salvation. The Father chose us. Jesus died for us. And the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. And that's the whole process of salvation, is giving over our hearts and minds to the creator of the universe, the one who flung the stars in the skies and knows them by name, the one that knows the number of hairs on our head. We are so precious to him that his thoughts for us are more than the sands of the sea. And those are all testimonies written in his word that we would know him. Last week, we learned that because of this salvation, we have an adversary, the same adversary that was in the garden with Eve, who simply uttered, Hath God really said? He took Eve's eyes off of everything she had and then put them on the one thing she didn't have. So, in that knowledge, we looked at girding up our minds, meaning taking all the things that we continually learn of Him in His Word every day, all the testimonies of His faithfulness to us as we walk with Him in life, the knowledge that He loved us so much, He came into His creation as the man Christ Jesus, the anointed and appointed prophesied Messiah, Deliverer, Jesus, who took the brutality of mankind on himself as he was beaten and as he was nailed on a cross. But as he was buried, 
he also rose again to defeat the one thing that is set against us, and that's death. But as we put our trust in him, we are born again spiritually, and no longer do we fear death, because to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. So again, in that knowledge, gird up your mind with that knowledge. Continue to keep yourself in the word of God, learning of him, so that when those doubts come, those hath God really said comes, we can raise a shield of faith that quenches every fiery dart of the enemy. Because we know his word, we know his promises, and the best thing is, we know he can't break his promise He's not a man that he should lie, as the Bible says. So, we gird up the loins of our mind, and then we live soberly, hoping completely for the fulfillment of our faith. We conduct our life as obedient children, loving our Father God. And we don't keep on the old wardrobe of our former selves, the way we acted in the past, the unrighteous things that we considered and we watched and we did. We don't keep those on. We start putting on the new garments of heaven, those robes of righteousness, those things that God tells us to put aside, we work at putting aside. We ask him for his help to put aside anger and wrath and malice and deceit and lying and And all those selfish things that our flesh wants, those lusts of our flesh, we start putting them off as we ask him for help. And then we ask him to help us be holy as he is holy. One of the scriptures of my life is Hebrews chapter 11, 6. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For those that come to him must believe that he is And he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And last week we focused on that, seeking him that our minds might be protected from the one who wants to lead us astray. Remember, our faith is more precious than gold. In the book of James, chapter 1, verse 2 and 4, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Remember, the Word of God is a spiritual book. It is preparing us to walk in the Spirit with Him after this age is done. With faith, we draw close to the Lord. With faith, we grow in knowledge of grace. And with faith, we have victory, because so did Jesus. All right, so let's go on. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17 through 19. And again, I'm going to read from the complete Jewish Bible, because it's another flavor that helps you understand the scripture more fully. So here's what it says. Also, if you are addressing as father, the one who judges impartially according to each person's actions, you should live out your temporary stay on earth in fear. 
you should be aware that the ransom paid to free you from the worthless way of life which your fathers passed on to you did not consist of anything perishable like silver or gold. On the contrary, it was the costly, bloody, sacrificial death of the Messiah as of a lamb without defect or spot. So we're going to again address this in pieces. The first thing we're going to look at is if you are addressing as father. I think Peter might be reminding us of when the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, when you pray, pray thus, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, Jesus wasn't teaching a ritual prayer. What Jesus was teaching was very specific. He started off by teaching them that when you come to God, come to him as your father, as the one that has loved you before time began. The one, like I said, whose thoughts for you are more than the sands of the sea. It's like a three-year-old child raising their hands up to their daddy, asking him to pick them up and keep them safe. That is what Jesus is teaching, our Father. In Romans chapter 8, verse 14 and 15, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Daddy, that word Abba is a Hebrew word. It's also an Arabic word. If you go to the Middle East, you'll hear it all the time. Abba, Abba, Abba. It's, the, it's the, that endearing daddy. But notice that even though we can come to him as Abba, Father, Daddy, it continues to go on to say, Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In other words, we still reverence him. He is still our daddy who will pick us up every single time, who will hold us close and keep us safe. If you read Psalm 91, it says, He is my refuge, and I hide in the shadow of his wings. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, it says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are, and were created. So you see, he's given us the ability to come to him and say, Daddy, Daddy, I'm hurting. Daddy, Daddy, I'm confused. Daddy, Daddy, I need help. But at the same time, we do reverence him, and we give him all glory and all honor and all praise, because he's given us all things. Just like Adam and Eve, he gave them all things. So do you realize he is your father? The Lord God Almighty who created Adam from the dust of the earth and knits us together in our mother's womb. This holy and righteous God wants us to call him daddy. Our God is an intimate, loving father. But our scriptures today go on to say, the one who judges impartially according to each person's 
actions. There is no grandfather clause to get into heaven. There is a personal relationship that is needed between you and God. When you recognize there is something that separates you from God's holiness, but the glorious thing is when we confess our sins to him, and that's not going to a church or a priest or any of that. It's going in the quietness of your heart before God Almighty in the understanding there's something that separates. And confessing your sin to him, repenting. And he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what 1 John 1, nine says. It's a personal relationship. And then to impart his spirit, that piece of him that will guide us into all truth. That's what it's called to be born again. To depend on him and his spirit to learn to be holy as he is holy. And all of a sudden we have that abundant life that Jesus told us we would have. Because he paid the penalty for the sin that separates us. But we got to trust that and believe that and receive the new life he wants to give us. We must recognize the nature of our heart and our flesh. We are prideful and lustful beings by our very nature given to us when Adam and Eve chose to disobey. Remember, we're trying to put off the old wardrobe. And pride is a wardrobe of the flesh and the former self. Now, in the book of Ecclesiastes, Chapter 12, verse 13 and 14, it says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Do you know that God knows our thoughts afar off? Meaning, he knows our thoughts before we do, In Psalm chapter 139, verses 1 and 2, it says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Saints, we can't hide a thing from him. And if we drop down in Psalm 139 to verses 23 and 24, it says, Search my, excuse me, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. This is King David writing this this psalm. And he, he recognizes that even though he loves God, he pursues God, he desires to be righteous before God, he can't overcome his sinful nature. Remember, King David ruled before Christ came. There was no permanent sacrifice for sin. There was just the temporary uh, sacrifice for sin, bringing their sacrifice to the temple. But that was just a foreshadowing of the ultimate Lamb of God, which we'll look at in a minute. This humility before God is a wardrobe of heaven. And it's what each of us needs to put on once we aggressively put off 
that wardrobe of the flesh. Refuse to put it on. Don't get up and put the stinky clothes on from your flesh. No, get up in the morning and wash yourself in the water of his word and let that new wardrobe, those linens of righteousness, clothe you. Now, in First Peter, our scripture for the day, it continues on from looking at the judge to being exhorted that we're living here on earth temporarily in fear. So we want to take a look at that really quick. We've already explained that we're pilgrims and we're just passing through. And further down in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, uh, verse 24, it says, All flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls away. See, saints, our life is just a dash. On the headstones, when you go to any cemetery, you will see somebody being born and somebody dying with a little dash in between. That dash is our life. So what we do here in this life counts for eternity. Are we doing the works for eternity that will separate us from God? Or are we seeking God in his word so that we know him? We know what holiness means. We know what righteousness means. We know what he asks of us because he knows us and he knows we're but dust. And he knows the wickedness of our heart. Heck, we can turn the news on or read the newspaper to see the wickedness of man's heart. We are just a vapor. We are just a wilting flower in the timeline of humanity. Make it count for eternity. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 17, it says, The world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. This portion of our scripture talks about fear. And a lot of people misunderstand this word. Fear of the Lord in the Old Testament is a designation of piety or reverence. He's God. He created us. We did not create him. Although the majority of mankind worshiping everything from themselves and their way, they're building idols to worship whether it's a career, whether it's money, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a friend, whether it's anything other than God himself, they're not reverencing God. They're reverencing everything else. But in the Ten Commandments, God says, Thou shall have no other God before me. We have to reverence him Because he's all wisdom, he's all knowledge, he's all discernment, he's all understanding. And if those are qualities we want, we need to seek them from him, trusting he's the holder of them, and he wishes to impart them to us. But getting back to fear, the Bible dictionary says, it is a fear conjoined with love and hope. And is therefore not a slavish dread, but rather a familial reverence. As a child, 
reverences their parent that they love. In Psalm chapter 111, verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Job chapter 28, 28 says, And to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. In the book of Proverbs, it says, Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord, reverence the Lord, and depart from evil. And then also in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, it says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Does my heart desire holiness by its hatred of sin? We fear the Lord because he's holy. And then we, we are in awe because he calls us into his holiness. Joy Dawson said, You are only as wise as you are holy. To fear the Lord is to respond to the holiness and understanding of our limitations to be holy, and that in his grace, he desires to impart it to us by his power in our lives by trusting him. In Proverbs 31.30, that wonderful chapter of Proverbs about women, it says, favor is deceitful, Beauty is vain, but a woman that fears the Lord, she shall be praised. All right, verse 18 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the traditions from your fathers. The word conduct or traditions basically means empty or fruitless, a fruitless labor. What we see most in religions that preach, you can work your way to heaven. Those are all basically false religions because that's not truth. God came from his throne in heaven to pay for our sins. He offers forgiveness with the payment for us with his life. And the truth is, we're sinners. We need to pay a debt we cannot afford to pay. And in the book of Romans, it says the wages or the debt of our sin is death. Thus, God himself said, I will come in and I will pay that cost. And it is costly. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, so that everyone believing in him should not perish, but should have eternal life. In Isaiah 53.5 it says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was on him. And by his stripes... We have healing. We're talking about the Lamb, the Lamb of God, the one who, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist declared, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin 
of the world. God's Word is living, and when you meditate on it from Genesis to Revelation, the puzzle pieces just come together. Exodus chapter 12, verse 5, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. This is a means whereby the angel of death would pass over all the homes that through faith placed blood of a spotless lamb upon their doorpost and lentil. We are being saved by the blood of Jesus, who is the Lamb of God. Do you see it? God in the Old Testament referred to the New Testament Lamb that would ultimately cleanse us from all of our sins. It would not be a temporary cleansing that needed to be renewed every year. And then in Exodus chapter 12, verse 14, it said, So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast, an everlasting ordinance. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In 1 John chapter 1, 5 through 10, it says, And this is the message we have from him, and announce to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Saints, God is our daddy, our father, and we need to know we can come to him like that. He is also the righteous judge who will judge every man according to their acts. But he is also the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. For more information about Kendra Martin and Hope of Our Calling, you can email her at kendramartinministries at gmail.com or visit the website at www.hopeofourcalling.org.